Welcome to another episode of Be Here Now. I am your host, Bridget Mitchell. On today's episode, I interviewed my favorite artist of all time, Natasha Chomko, also known as Postwook. You can find Natasha on all social platforms at Postwook. That's spelled P-O-S-T-W-O-O-K. If you are unfamiliar with her art, I encourage you to pull up Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and check out Postwook while we're talking so you can see just how incredible she is. We take a deeper look at how Natasha went from being a political operative to a full-time artist in LA. We discuss Natasha's recovery and how she came to be where she is by listening to her true calling. When I started this podcast, I told myself I wanted to keep the episodes raw and uncut so you could get the full authentic conversation, but Natasha and I ended up talking for over two hours, so I had to cut this conversation down a little bit. I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to get to know Natasha on a deeper level, and I hope you enjoy learning more about her too. If you feel you may be triggered by the topic of substance abuse in this episode, please be mindful and set a healthy boundary, and I will see you in another episode. This is Be Here Now. I am joined with a very special guest. Uh, This is someone that I look up to and I'm inspired by. She is an artist. She is a creator. Um, And yeah, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Natasha Chomko. I am the artist professionally known as Postwook. Um, I live in Los Angeles, California, and I am a full-time artist, um, and I'm really excited to be here. So thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm super stoked. I'm actually wearing the t-shirt <laughs> that you <laughs> I sent love that. me. It is so comfortable. Um, this t-shirt is it's kind of funny. Did you see my Instagram story that I tagged you in? I don't know if I did actually, but I intentionally gave you that t-shirt because of the whole saga <laughs> with the print. So I was gonna oh get you the gosh. print too. I just didn't know if that was too matchy matchy. Oh no, it's totally fine. I swear I like opened it and I was like, I started tearing up. I was like, oh my god, she remembered. Um so a little backstory to this shirt because it's kind of funny I um I was seeing this guy last year and we talked like all of quarantine and then we met on on hinge and um we met for the first time he came over to my apartment and I showed him my bedroom wall which is all of like my post book um art I have 10 prints I think and I was like this is my favorite artist I love her so much and I like pulled up my Instagram and I said this is the one that I think it's called road trip right yes yeah okay so I like pulled up Instagram I was like this is the one that I want to get I want to get a huge print of it but I think it's kind of expensive to get um, like a big custom print and he must have noted that I said that because around my birthday May around like the end of May um we had broken things off but he texted me after my birthday and was like um so I ended up getting you something and I think it had already shipped and I think it's supposed to get there soon and I like go down to my mail room or whatever and nothing is there for me and um so it got stolen but he spent like over 200 dollars on this road trip print and looking back it's so funny but I remember being so upset (laughs) I wanted the print more than him (laughs) (laughs) 
that situation was so like that like was actually unfolding as I was at a protest and I just remember like turning to my friends and I was like how do I handle this they're like one don't handle this right now but when you do handle it just remember that you're not the post office and it was just like I felt so bad but I thought it was so funny because you didn't you didn't buy it and he didn't care and I was just like (laughs) I don't know what to do here (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh no it was totally but I got fine. to redeem I mean, myself so yes yes you did and it wasn't even it was whoever stole it at my apartment complex like I hope you like it and I hope I hope it's uh serving <laughs> serving um your your living room or wherever you you hung it up so a little bit behind post book um why don't you tell us like where you're from where you live and kind of like the back like your backstory and how you got to be where you are yeah, so I'm from, uh, I grew up in College Park, Maryland, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, my parents still live in the area, so I grew up around D.C. Um, everyone I knew, including my family, all like worked in government or academia, and I thought that that was like the only way to be. So I ended up going to college for politics in D.C., as one does. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had a job and it was, you know, it was fine after I graduated, but really, I mean, it just wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And something just kind of hit me while I was working this job that like, I didn't have a creative outlet because in, you know, when you're in grade school, obviously you have art class and you always have a creative outlet. And in high school, I was doing theater, um, wardrobe stuff. So I was making costumes for like children's theater. And I was just really crafty. And then in college, I was in a sorority. So obviously I was crafting like those ridiculous, like um, 21st birthday trash cans and always making baskets and um, canvases for people. And I was just considered like a crafty person and because I just like being creative, but I just thought of it as a hobby. Mm -hmm. So by the time I graduated college and I had gotten to this office job where there was no creative outlet there were no more 21st birthday trash cans to make there was no children's theater to make costumes for like there wasn't an art class um it dawned on me that I was missing this part of myself that was pretty passive at the time and then kind of became a more active part of my life obviously now but I didn't realize how important it was to me until I didn't have it so really what ended up happening was I had been at this job for almost a year and I just like snapped and realized like I'm not doing anything creative and I need to be doing something. So I figured out how to use Photoshop. I had no idea what I was doing. I remember the first thing I made, I used like a content aware fill, which literally just like blends one thing to another to like take out a part of something. I thought I was like a genius. I like vividly remember that. (laughs) And I, um, I just remember like it felt so good like that feeling of gliding scissors on wrapping paper like it was what I needed to be doing and uh, at the time my boss her mom was an artist and I just remember showing her some of my work in the beginning and she was like this is really cool Um, and I didn't really believe her I didn't know if she was just being nice to me or she actually felt that way but just like that little bit of validation from an artist and then Mm -hmm. it kind of even at that time, I had this feeling of like, this is going to be something. I don't know what it is, but there was this undertow feeling that this was going to be something. 
So um, I just continued making art and it really sucked at first um, compared to what I can do now, but um, that's part of the process. <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. Oh man. Yeah. And I had to learn all about like copyright law and I had to figure out, cause I wasn't really comfortable putting stuff on the internet at first. Cause that happened in like April of 2018. And I didn't, I didn't go public with anything until August. So it was a few months of just like mm-hmm. researching and kind of figuring out like what I can make, what I can legally put out on the internet, like where to get images from. Um, not random Instagram pages, just like the things that everyone just needs to figure out. And I just started showing more people what I was doing. And I just thought it was something I did for fun. And then people were really, really drawn to it. Like even before it was on the internet, there was just something. And I just thought all these people were being nice to me. Um, sometimes I still do, <laughs> but so um, of you. <laughs> oh man, you have no idea. There are definitely moments where I'm just like, people are just being nice. It's just clout. It's not real. Blah blah blah. But, um, so I just started making more stuff and I just made art when I could. Um, I, the best thing that ever happened to me happened that summer and I got fired from that job, which was awesome because I went oh, on yeah. unemployment. Yeah. I went on, I went on unemployment before it was cool. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was just living off unemployment, getting my nails done, going to the gym, going to festivals that I had already paid for and or didn't have to pay for. So I wasn't using that money for unemployment money for that, but mm-hmm. just making art. <laughs> and that's all I did for like six weeks because I hated that job so much. And I, um, I knew I wanted to move to LA where I'm at now, but I just didn't necessarily know like what I wanted to do out here. So I think it was like a few weeks before I got fired, I called one of my friends and I was just like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And he basically was like, well, I know you like these things and I think you would really like this and I think you should move to LA. So once Mm -hmm. I got fired, it just kind of um, catalyzed that process. And um, it was a very scary six weeks where I wasn't working because my little capitalist and doctrine brain was just like, you have to work all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was a really cool experience though. I just had the ability to just like make art. I got to see my grandfather before he died. You know, I got to come out to LA and find an apartment. Um, And it was a very just necessary experience. And, you know, from there, literally on the drive to LA, I put, I made things public for people. Oh, your like um, art page? Yep. That's when I went public with it. Yeah. So Um, it was truly like the thing that I did as I moved here. And it was just like a spur of the moment idea. I was just like, yeah, let me just like post something on Facebook now and just see what happens. And, and what um, year was that? 2018. That was 2018. Okay. All right. So that I think is around the time that I heard of you because that was like the year that I was really following Bass Nectar. <laughs> and um, yeah, I remember seeing, I don't, I don't know who showed me your page, but I remember seeing your Instagram. Um, and I think you only had like 12,000 followers maybe. And I just checked today and you have like over 220,000. That's insane for two years going on three years. Like what? Yeah. I mean, my, my thing is like, my brain just tells me like, well, why isn't it that on Twitter? why don't you have those numbers on Instagram or why don't you have those numbers on Facebook? You know, like yeah. why isn't your mailing list like 10,000 people big, you know? Cause it's just, and th- that's just what my brain tells me. Like there's a yeah. book that I really love called the untethered soul by Michael Singer. Wait, 
Stop. That's my favorite book of all time. Yeah. It talks about the roommate in your head. And uh, yes. that's, that's ex- and if for people who don't know, it's basically, it's a great book that you should totally read, but it's, um, mm-hmm. it's a book about how you need to divide your thoughts from your being, because sometimes your thoughts as we have all probably experienced, they're not real, right? Like your brain mm-hmm. tells you you're ugly when you're beautiful. Your brain tells you that you can't do it when you can. And I think for me, it's like that translates in my brain where my brain doesn't want to hear that, like, I've done something really cool that benefits a lot of people. My brain just wants to be like, you haven't done enough yet. Um, And that's really difficult sometimes because I think that, like, I I struggle to take compliments, partially because being a woman, I was also taught very young that if you take compliments, you're conceited and then no one will want to mess with you. Um, And that's something that I'm working on. But uh it is hard. It's, it's, uh, it was a hard two years. I mean, we can get into the social media stuff, but that was, <laughs> it was, it was a lot. That was, I spend yeah. a lot less time on Instagram than I used to, but I used to spend so much time on Instagram. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for plugging that book. That's seriously, it's, I'm looking at it right now. It's on my table. Um, I let a friend borrow it and I just picked up another copy because I was like, I need this in my little library. This mm-hmm. is like my soul book. But no, that's a, such a great book. Um, but yeah, since we're talking about social media, how do you feel it has like played a role in the growth of your art and also maybe the downfall of how you view your art? Um, so the way I, I guess the first one, you know, kind of how it made me what I am, it, it was just a platform, right? And it's like a visual medium that people can translate like, you know, images on, you can see things. And I think that like, that was really cool, because it put me in front of an audience that is consistently growing. Um, And I still have people reaching out all the time, like, I just found your page. So cool. Thanks for doing what you do. And like, that is something that I love to see um, that makes my day because to me, like that is truly um, tells me that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. But, you know, I think I used to have a lot more issues with like the downfall of my art uh, is as far as like social media goes and like comparison and stuff where now, like I just kind of make what I make. Um, I'll say this here. I have a lot of people muted that I follow (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, just because I I follow their stories. And if I like whatever they put on their story and it's a post, I'll go like it from there. But I don't need to see all their art all the time just because um, I do believe that while artists are very isolated, the best relationships I have with artists are not artists in my same discipline. They're artists that Mm -hmm. give me something inspiring that is not what I already do. Um, and I know that might not be the same for a lot of people, but I love photographers. I love painters. I love sculptors. One of my favorite artists is this sculptor guy in um, London. And, um, you know, it's like, that's the stuff that inspires me. It's not really the art that looks like what I do because that just kind of throws me for a loop. Right. Yeah. But before I learned that, that's what I looked at. Right. And I think that that was like a huge mangled mess for me for a while because I had to learn how to kind of not pay attention to what other people are doing, not pay attention to other people's engagement, not pay attention to how many followers they have, who they've worked with, da, 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 because Mm -hmm. that stuff isn't important, right? Um, I think that came with some of my own success and realizing that I, the thing that really kind of cracked the code on that was I realized I have been able to achieve everything I've been able to achieve while these people exist. Mm -hmm. And That doesn't mean that if they didn't exist, I would have more. And it doesn't mean that if they existed, I existed in a bigger capacity than they did, that I would have 
they would have less. All it means is that I have achieved what I've achieved regardless of them. And who am I to say that that's not going to be the same situation in six months, a year, if I just keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So that kind of helped me get out of this idea that other people may or may not be like, you know, I, I don't feel affected by other people as much as I used to. Um, yeah. It's been a really like, that's been a huge experience for me, just like as a person, as an artist. Um I think that social media definitely plays a role in that. I think maybe before social media and galleries, the same kind of thing in a different, you know, set of circumstances probably happened. But on social media, I mean, you have so many people who are just putting so much stuff out there and it's so accessible. Um, And for better or for worse, that's really cool. Right. So um, I always try to like, think about it like that, that, it is a really cool opportunity and this tool that we have, but sometimes it comes with some limitations, but they're just opportunities to work through stuff. That's kind of how I feel about it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I realized we didn't even have you explain um, your art. So you you define it as contemporary surrealism. Is that like, is that like an actual, um, what is it called? Like a genre of art? Like what's the equivalent to genre? Uh, I think it's like a discipline or a style. Okay. Um, so, yes, but no. Um, so in a lot of, if you were to like Google contemporary surrealism, like a whole bunch of different stuff would pop up. It's mostly mm-hmm. a term that was used in painting, but I have a friend that I grew up in the same area as her and we were friends in college. And then we both live out here because she got an MFA at CalArts. And um, she took one look at my art like three years ago and was just like, this is contemporary surrealism. This is really cool. And that just stuck with me. It just stuck with me like so hard. And um, I made that like a big part of my like branding. And um, I don't know if that's why it's caught on with other people. Um, I don't know if that's what really happened there, maybe. Um, But it is two words that kind of make sense together. So I think that um, the way that I kind of define it in my own words is it is this idea of bending the real with the abnormal and this idea that surrealism is not realism. It's something that may or may not look like real life, but it's, it's Mm -hmm. just different and it's not that, but unlike Dolly, who is like probably the quintessential surrealist painter that everyone knows of with like the melting clocks Mm -hmm. um, or Picasso, even um, contemporary surrealism is meant to be like a more nuanced new version of that where like I'm not trying to recreate Dolly I'm not trying to recreate all these other people I'm doing my own thing Mm. um and I think that that is really important and something that I've learned people in art school definitely don't do that they just take other people's inspiration and I feel like that's such a that's such a limiting experience for an artist um so I so like wait, actively never... strive against oh, that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, I'm not like anti-art school, anti-gallery, but I'm definitely, a, I'm, very, I'm definitely pro doing things your own way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you never went to art school. No, no, I didn't. Um, I always thought that artists uh, couldn't be artists if they didn't know how to draw. So um, I just kind of told myself I wasn't an artist, which is so mm-hmm. funny now. I still can't draw. If you are listening and you can't draw, you you probably are still an artist. It's okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I say I like in my intro podcast, the first like the pilot episode that I recorded the other day, I say like, oh, I write myself as not being a creative person. But I mean, here I am like 
making a podcast and being a photographer, like those are still, you know, art and creative outlets. They're just different mediums. Um, And I also suck at drawing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it'd be like saying like, oh, I'm not a, um, I'm not a cook or I'm not a chef because I can't make a cream puff. It's like, what? Like, like, (laughs) when we think about it in these other terms, you're like, I'm not an engineer because I don't build traffic stoplights. It's like, okay, yeah. but you build buildings. Like that's just as cool and just as necessary. Mm-hmm. Right. For and it's sure. just like, I think when we, we take the context out, the doubt sounds a lot more silly. Yeah. Um. So, okay. I want to kind of pivot to, well, we can, we can, t- we can keep talking about your art in a second, but um, I want to pivot to, the music scene because so the hummingbirds I don't know if you want to tell us about the hummingbirds and how that started but did you use the hummingbirds in that platform ever to like promote your art or how did the two kind of intertwine or did they intertwine at all yeah so um a big part of my life and even the name post comes from the fact that I am um, sober. I'm a recovered drug addict. I got sober when I was 21 years old. I was in college. Um, and basically like after I got sober while I was in school, I was still trying to do the things that I was doing before, just like in a different way. And that meant like, you know, catching a lot of like multiple night runs of different artists and going all over the country and just like hopping on flights after class and doing all these different things. And I think I had like 40 days sober and I went down to this event in Atlanta. And um, one of my friends sent me this like screenshot of this Reddit comment. So random. And uh, it basically was like, hey, there's going to be a sober table at this event. You should totally go. So I show up and no one's there. So I like find the Facebook group and it's like these two dudes and um, they didn't really have like a lot of leadership. And that wasn't really their fault. Like they just were older and like were kind of out of it and they needed some like fresh air. And uh, I just kind of stepped up because I've always been a leader regardless of how much I knew what to do or not, I was just like, Hey, let me help you guys. And, um, they kind of were relieved. And, uh, if they listen to this, they might not think that at the time, because I was like a crazy newcomer and I did not know how to be a team player, but, um, I definitely kind of took it and ran with it. But, um, that group is called the hummingbirds and it is a, was a group for, people who attend shows and fans of Bass Nectar who choose to be substance-free at the show. Actually, you know what? Bass Network, if they hear this, no, it's for sober people. Yes, <laughs> um, and yes. I think that some uh-huh. people, I was, I was always told not to use the word sober. Uh, they wanted me to say substance-free, so that just became part of the verbiage. But mm-hmm. I mean, the bulk of the group, like the people who actually held it together were sober. And that doesn't mean that the people who weren't actively like, you know, in a recovery situation of abstinence and self-improvement weren't present because they were. There were definitely people who were pregnant, people who were on probation, people who weren't drug addicts or alcoholics, like people who genuinely just wanted to stay sober and they were just as welcome. It's not like anyone was like shunned because of the nature of why they were abstaining from drugs and alcohol right it was genuinely like the group the bulk of it were people who all like would be dead if we hadn't gotten sober Mm -hmm. um so I always felt like it was really limiting when I was told I couldn't use that word I had to get over that this was like four years ago but um I had to get over that because it was it was what we was needed to do to keep the group going. But, you know, like we were sober people and we were having like group 
gatherings at these events and I just met so many people through that um I just I met people through that and then I was also like more closely associated with Bass Nectar through um his like fan I don't want to even call it like a fan group it was it was basically a work for hire group um Mm -hmm. it feels so good to talk about these things without like like uh labels and like censorship because it's all over now so I can say it I mean the ambassador group in my opinion was truly like a a work for tickets situation where like Mm -hmm. you did a project and it was really cool my project was always the table um and you could go to a show and like help out but like that's no different than like going to Bonnaroo and cleaning up trash yeah in my opinion I think it's the same thing and I think they're both amazing they both need to be Mm -hmm. present but um I just you know I think that some of the ways that these things were talked about early on um gave it a different opinion to people but um so the hummingbirds was just like a big part of my life I think especially in early sobriety as I was graduating college that first year out of college um it was a huge part of my life those were my best friends I mean we would go to festivals together we would hang out together we would call each other we had group chats um they really became like the people that I wanted to be associated with and um I don't necessarily think that that group of people became like the first like supporters of my art actually um none of them (laughs) my closest friends ever have said to me I love what you're doing now which is totally fine (laughs) they support me in other ways yeah but it's just like they weren't it's not like they were like the cheerleaders which I think Mm -hmm. is good because um we connected on a different level and they knew that was like my job um And also, like, I never really tried to promote it because it didn't feel right. And even in the beginning, I mean, with Postbook, I was very, like, very anonymous with it. I didn't really want people to know who I was. I didn't want people to know my story. Um, Mm -hmm. My my idea was um, I would rather people just see it as this, like, anonymous entity. And um, eventually I stopped doing that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like that. Um, but I realized eventually that that really wouldn't work. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's maybe how I heard. Okay. It was either someone sent me your Instagram or I was at the hummingbirds table at an event and you were talking about, or someone was talking about it, but yeah. So the hummingbirds, I also am, am, again like the word sober and then substance free I I used to get dogged for saying sober because I drink alcohol occasionally but like I don't smoke weed I don't do anything else um so now I now I choose to say substance free because I don't know it's sticky terminology and it can be offensive to people in recovery but um yeah I that that group and that table was always so helpful because I was always the only sober person in my group. Um, and you know, I, there was nothing wrong with that. I love all of my friends. I love, um, I love them regardless of whatever, whatever choices they make. Uh, Well, unless they're harming someone else, but, um, that table was always so such a refresher for me. Um, especially in with the, the crowd that we were running with, with the music, um, Mm -hmm. it got pretty hectic sometimes. And, Um, really overwhelming, but even I'm still in the Facebook group to this day. And I love seeing people post um, like how many days they're in recovery or how many days they've been sober, even reaching out. Like the fact that that's a resource for people is incredible. Even, even if 
the B word is still around or not, <laughs> you know, yeah, like totally. Um, I mean, we, we kind of had to do like a very quick, um, all the admins and myself, we had to kind of sit down and we were like, okay, what do we do now? Do we archive the group? Do we keep it going? Um, yeah. none of us wanted to archive the group. We were all like, no, this group has changed people's lives and it needs to stay available. There are other groups that are more broadly just associated with festivals in general. And I think that like those kind of serve like the rubber on the pavement now. And honestly, I mean, when all that stuff went down, I was relieved because my career had taken off and I didn't really have time for the hummingbirds anymore, which is so sad because it was such a big part of my life. And, um, one of the things I've learned about self-improvement is it's a lot of outgrowing Mm -hmm. and, um, it's really uncomfortable. Um, but it's necessary, but it's very uncomfortable. And that was Mm -hmm. one of the first situations that I had like that, where I realized that like I had done everything I could do for that group. I, I, there was nothing else I could do besides not hurt it, but get in the way of it. And I Mm -hmm. had to step away. And that was so hard for me because it was like my baby. Um, but when I finally did, it felt so free, you know? Um, yeah. I wasn't even present for like the last year just because I wanted other people to take over. I, I didn't want to be the person anymore. I wanted someone else to do that um, the way that I was given that opportunity. But uh, then all this stuff happened. So, you know, here we are. But um, I think that, you know, like what you just described is truly the kind of person that would always make me kind of perk up behind the table because that's why we're there. You know, the people who are sober, like they, they have a plan of action. They have someone that they can talk to. They have a like regimen that they live by for the most part. You know, they have a support group of other people who are sober, but it's those people who like genuinely their friends are just getting rowdy and they just want to get away from it. Like Mm -hmm. those are the people that like truly I love to see because I remember, especially when I was like, early in sobriety like being that person I didn't have a lot of sober friends back then so like I would just go to the sober tent I would just find it wherever it was and just sit down just be like hey I just want to hang out and um that was that I needed that so it's like in in any capacity someone who needs that like that's that's what it's there for um and it's just like a place to chill out where there's candy and just like stickers and good vibes and you just chill and it's like a really fun thing and it's actually one of those things that it's a it's a way larger thing than the hummingbirds. It's technically this thing called like a yellow balloon group, which is a um, table at an event or a booth where they hold meetings and um, just like hanging out for people. And it started with the wharf rats with the Grateful Dead, and then Fish did it with the Fellowship. Um, and the whole, it's like more a thing in the jam band scene. But now mm-hmm. there's like just sober tents at festivals. Like Bonnaroo has Soberoo. And like there's this group called Harmonium that does everything with Insomniac, which is a bigger deal on the West Coast. But that's like, I think like Coachella, Lightning in a Bottle, um, like EDC, things like that. Um, and it's, I've met so many people through that. The person that I talked to about moving to LA, I met through Harmonium. You know, it's like my entire life is rooted in this idea of, being there for like sober festival people. So that's like a huge part of it. And I think um, this is a great way to transition into post book. So uh, basically what ended up happening was it was 2017. I was in that job that I absolutely despised. And I was, you know, probably like 13 months sober. And um, if you're listening to this and you have like five or six months, I'm just going to break it to you that like, you're still going to do like things that are not 
holy and divine by the time you have like a year or two, you're still going to lie. And um, my experience very much was that I went to this job and I told them that I was going to the Grand Canyon with my parents. And um, I made, I found like fake flight itineraries. I like gave them all these things. Like it was, it, the, the depth of this lie was so intense, but I really wanted to go to this festival. Um, and I took like a $60 round trip spirit flight with a backpack down to Florida to go to uh, Halloween in Swanee, Florida. And I just remember I took like an overnight flight and then I got picked up from the airport and me and my friends just drove immediately to Swanee. And um, I just remember being in that forest. And if you've never been there, there's like this area in the camping section where there's like this forest. It's pretty far back. So if you've ever been in the campgrounds, it's way further. (laughs) And um, we wanted a spot where we could just like chill out and have a fire pit. But it was like a cold Wednesday morning. And I just, or Thursday, and I just like remember being still mentally at work and physically at this festival. Mm. And I think the only food I had were like a few like Greek yogurt, like Chobani flips and some <laughs> cream puffs. Literally, I love cream puffs. I don't know. And um, I had some what fruit a combination. <laughs> Man, it was it was a vibe. And um, so we did like the, the annual, you know, you, you go to the Walmart before you head in thing. Mm-hmm. And it's what I wanted. I just wanted cream puffs. And um, I'm standing there in this forest. And it was just this moment where I realized like, I am a professional. I have a full-time job. I wear heels and nice clothes. I'm someone's assistant, but I'm also here. And I do this stuff that I like to do with my friends. I sit in a hammock and listen to Joe Russo's Almost Dead. You know, like I buy crystals and wear pashminas. And it was like this thought of like, like post-rock takes influence from rock music. post book. Mm-hmm takes influence from being a wook but still not a wook anymore and I think it was like this era of my life where it was really truly an inside joke at that point where I just said it to my friends who were all in the same position we all were post-work and um it was just like yeah we're gonna go to this festival but then we gotta go to work on Monday and it was supposed to be this idea that like people can have fun and still be responsible adults because like your friends that you probably have had this experience where you're like man you guys just party Like, Mm -hmm. I want to have, like, responsible homies. And um, uh, that was what Postbook was supposed to be. I actually really wanted Postbook to be, like, a lifestyle blog. Like, I wanted it to be for people like that to find a fellowship and community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, I put together the Instagram because I just wanted the handle. And then, like I said, I had that experience where I snapped and started making art. And that's kind of how that happened. But Postbook was not supposed to be an art thing. Um, But really what ended up happening was I um, realized, I think it was like December of 2018, I'd made calendars for 2019. And I realized like people were hitting me up and they were like, oh, I've got this calendar to put in my office. I got this for my cubicle. I got this for my wife. And I was like, yo, I found the post books. They exist. They're here. It happened. And it was like, I'm doing it just through art. Like this is the thing. It's, it's, it is what it was supposed to be. It's just through this other medium. And, um, today to this day, I swear, like, I mean, I try, I have a really slow day and I like to spend a lot of time on Instagram, free marketing tip, get to know your audience, look at who's following Mm -hmm. you. Just anytime a new follower comes in, just check them out. So if you followed me recently, I've probably looked at your Instagram. I just want to know who you are. 
you know, do the dog? What do you like to do for fun? Like, do you go to festivals? Who do you follow? You just like, you know, um, a lot of my followers follow Subtronics. Cool. Good to know. You know, and it's just like little things like that um, that just kind of help me understand who my audience is. And it, it makes my heart flutter when I see people who are just post work. I'm like, yes, like you get it. This is the vibe. Like you are the person that I made this for. Like you are the one. I'm glad you found this. And for a lot of them, I'm sure it's just, you know, like looking at cool art and scrolling. But for the ones that truly want like to dig deeper into it, it's there for them. And um, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm so grateful for that. So that's so interesting. I didn't know that that was the meaning behind the name. Like I obviously know <laughs> what the word woke means. Like I've, I'm in the festival scene. Like I understand that, but um, I never put two and two together, but that's brilliant. And yeah. it's funny you say that. Cause like I have, I have my professional quote unquote friends that will come over to my apartment and I'm like, okay, I'll show you a tour of my apartment, but you have to see my bedroom wall. Like I show all of them. Like you have to see my art. Like this is my favorite art. And like some of them get it. Some of them are like, oh, that's so dope. And then some of them are like, what? Like those are the, those are the people that have never really been into electronic music or festivals at all. But it's really funny. And every time I I seem to share a, a post of yours on my story, I'll notice like some of my friends from high school will share it. And those are also people that really are not like in the festival scene at all. And I'm like, this is so interesting that more and more people are catching on because it's just cool. But it's especially cool when it's people that have been in the festival scene. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's so funny. I was on a call earlier with a guy I went to college with who ironically, like, I was like super close friends with him and his fraternity. And like, we were talking about it because none of us were like Greek life people. We were just stoners who like to party and have fun and chill. And um, we were talking and he was like, I see people sharing your art who don't know you, but it's so cool to see that. And I'm just like sitting here thinking like, okay, Truman Show, when is the curtain going to drop? Because I still don't believe it sometimes that like, this is my life. But like that experience alone tells me it's bigger than me. And that's like what I need to see because um, this isn't about me. This is, this has never been about me. Um, But it's like this weight that I carry. Um, and it's kind of terrifying sometimes, Yeah, but it's, it's a lot. It's okay. Do you, do you feel like there is a, a, okay. Cause I noticed last year, I think last year was the first year you started doing and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, there were a limited number of prints every month. And then once those sold out, you didn't sell them again. It was that last year when you started doing that. That actually was from the get-go. That was something that oh, really? I really felt passionate about. Yeah. So one of my friends suggested I do something like that. Um, okay. In the very beginning, she was just like, yo, you should just like do limited edition stuff. Like it'd be cool. And it was just like an idea she was throwing out there. That wasn't like something that I really considered heavily, but I thought about it. And it was like this really cool way to kind of like gear up with my followers. Right. So like I started, mm-hmm. I mean, I started that and like, I think it was, it was 2019. It was January, 2019. Um, I started that and it was just like 10 at first. I would do 30 prints, mm-hmm. three designs, 10 of each. And they would sell out when they would sell out. Sometimes they wouldn't sell out that quickly. Actually, the first few runs that I did, people didn't buy them and I got really mad, which is so funny now. Um, 
And it just like took a little bit to get rolling. And then I just increased the quantity. And then during quarantine, I did this thing where it was all like limited, like time release. So it's like, instead of just being like 25, because everyone's on different like time zones, I just opened it up. And instead of the runs going from 25, they went from like 25 to like 64. They went from like, Mm -hmm. you know, 25 to 108. And it was just crazy to watch how people just really wanted these things. Um, and now I'm going to, in 2021, I'm going to kind of combine the two. So there's a little bit for everyone, but yeah. um, it's, that was like a mainstay from the beginning because it, it pays homage to the pin, the pin scene and like the pin hustle of how mm-hmm. pins are often um, limited edition and they're numbered. So I wanted to do something like that, that pays homage to this like festival community thing. And for people who don't know, people, books collect pins like stocks because the value of the pin will go up or down and they can use it as an asset. And um, I kind of wanted, I, I, I really wanted my art to be like that where people would like collect it and then sell it. I don't really think there's a lot of like resale value on paper, but um, it was a cool idea. And I think the limited edition thing definitely came from that. And it came from this idea that like, it is special for everyone involved. And it kind of made me, cause this isn't really for anyone else, but for me, it helped me like not stay attached to the art. Um, because it would just go, you know, it's like I, I would sell it and then I wouldn't sell it again and it would just be over. And I like, cause I would get really attached to pieces I really liked. And that kind of helped me kind of stay away from the attachment, um, because it wasn't helpful. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, that was, that was always kind of a thing and people love it. I mean, sometimes people hate it cause it sells out too fast. They're sleeping or whatever, but, um, yeah, I think I really, I think I thought that it started last year because, um, I don't know, I guess they sold out really fast and I felt, oh, I felt man. like I missed all of them, but I do, yeah. I do love the, um, the, uh, limited edition kind of aspect of it because even when, when I show people my prints, I'm like, this one was from March and then this one was from July. And I don't know, I think it's super cool, um, that you don't resell them unless you do like the whole, the, um, goodie bag or, whatever this mystery box thing was, yeah. Um, then maybe like you'll have leftovers that you'll send out. But Those I think it's actually, cool. I literally, when I sign all the prints, if I have extras, I sign them right then and there. I sign them as a bonus print. I sign them as my hard copy proof. I sign them as whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give people kind of like an idea of where this did actually come from. So I wanted to ask like about your creative blocks and what you do to keep yourself inspired, but also how do you see yourself continuing like post work on the 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 train that it's going right now like you have this momentum going and I can see it how do you is there do you feel like a pressure to keep that momentum going or are you just going to keep doing what you're doing or I guess this is a growth question <laughs> but also a creative question <laughs> uh, I've been diagnosed with severe anxiety so I think that probably has a lot to do with what happens and when, because I am just constantly frantic, but, um, Mm -hmm. basically, uh, for me, I mean, with the creative blocks, the thing, there's a lot of different things I do. So one, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. I'm a 30 minute drive to the mountains. I'm a 30 minute drive to the beach. I live downtown. Please don't stalk me. Um, so I have like buildings everywhere and the sunsets are gorgeous. And depending on which street you're on, you can see the buildings and the mountains with the sunset and it's really cool. Um, and I don't live that far from the desert. You know, I live like three hours away from Joshua Tree. 
Um, I, you know, live really close to Orange County. If I needed to go down there, I'm near national parks. So if I'm ever like really uninspired, I will just go on a hike and it will Mm -hmm. usually clear it up or I'll go on a walk downtown or whatever. Um, Another thing I like to do is I have this book and it's like all color schemes and I'll sometimes make things like I'll challenge myself. I like to do a little like personal challenges because I truly believe the only person you're in competition with is yourself. So challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll do these little like like challenges where I take a color palette and I try to make something out of it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but um, it's fun. It's fun for me and I love color theory. So it's really like a cool way for me to see like which colors work together. Um, and then another thing I'll do is I'll like rework old stuff. So I'll make a, a piece that I've already made, but I'll make it different. So mm-hmm. um, I'll go back and look at something that I've made. And um, I try to pick things that I can do a lot more technically sound now and I'll just remake it. And that usually puts me in a place where I get to see side by side the progress I've made. Because I think for me, I mean, like the past two years, three years of my life have just been like this really weird feeling of just like, oh my God, like I am truly just doing this thing. I've stepped out of my career. I'm terrified. I don't know what's going on. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just been like a constant, like every day is just another day. It's like 24 hours at a time. And um, it's been really crazy to watch because part of me is just like so scared sometimes for the future. And I'll get really caught up in the shuffle and I'll forget how much progress I've made. And I'll Mm -hmm. forget to take time to realize and to recognize how much, you know, space I've really like made for myself. Um, so old work is a great way for me to get re-inspired. Um, and then the other thing I'll do, because sometimes the best form of action is inaction. I will literally mm. just take a break. In the like middle of, of uh, December, after I hit all of my um, like ordering deadlines to get stuff best by Christmas, um, I just took like two weeks off. Straight That's up. Amazing. Just <laughs> listened to podcasts and cleaned and went on hikes, and I watched Netflix, and I just hung out, and I read books, and played Minecraft, which is another thing I like to do, Mm -hmm. Um, and I just let myself do it for, like, two weeks, and it was, like, it was literally, like, New Year's Eve, and I was, like, I'm ready to work again, which was crazy, Um, but I definitely just needed the time, because I hadn't done that. Even the vacations yeah. I take are sponsored by brands that need me to go and make content for them. So it's like, I just needed some time to myself and it felt so good and I felt inspired. And now, I mean, I'm trying to kind of like build it up slowly and not like make art out of fear and just kind of like make art for myself when I can and kind of set a routine for it. Um, but it's, I've been letting myself just kind of do it really, really um, slowly. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's so important to recalibrate and kind of get right. Um, whenever things get a little rocky, (laughs) I'm not, I don't do art full time. So I, I really don't know how that feels, but, um, that's awesome that you're able to recognize whenever you just need to reset. Um, would you, so this, this podcast is kind of all about, um, not all about, but something that I've been wanting to dive into with each guest is the word purpose. And, um, 
you can tell when someone has found their purpose or is really passionate about something, the way that they talk about it. And I could hear that in your voice whenever you were talking about the hummingbirds and um, sober community and connection. And now when you're talking about post-Wook, would you say that um, post-Wook is your purpose or do you think that your purpose has kind of shifted throughout the years or yeah um my per my purpose honestly is the um it's the same it always has been before post work um it's just to be helpful mm -hmm. it's truly to just be helpful and um I think that post work is the way that that's happening now which is amazing and I love it um, and I'm really grateful that I'm being like used in this way to be helpful to others. Um, but I truly think that regardless of what it would be, it's just, it's just being helpful. And, um, I think that the art has inspired a lot of people. Um, I think that it's brought people together. Um, mm -hmm. I had a situation over the summer where a kid, uh, ordered some art like two, three days in between each other. And, um, he died and, um, he died of an overdose and I, I knew people who knew him and his mom got in touch with me. And at first I was really scared because I was like, what is going on? What does this woman want? And then she, um, took some time and talked to one of his friends and he, this sweet man just bought all this art for his friend. And, um, I got to be a part of that. And that had nothing to do with me. But the fact that like this kid, even in his last days, is just like thinking about other people. And like I just somewhat got tied into that, just the littlest bit. Um yeah. it really made me feel helpful. And I was just like, whoa, like that is something I never anticipated. And I um I think about that a lot, you know, and it's just like that's an experience that I I truly never thought I'd have. It scares me that I'm helpful in this way. I never wanted any of this. I wanted to be a lawyer. I just wanted an Audi. I wanted to live in a row house in DC <laughs> with a cat. I didn't want any of this. And um, I think, again, I mean, that idea of like self-improvement requires some uncomfortable growing pain. Here it is. And um, yeah. I think like the vision, you know, later is just to keep doing what is in front of me. Um, I definitely have goals along the way. There are definitely things I want to do. There are skills I want to learn. But in my experience, um, the best life is the one that you spend present and doing the mm. things that are in front of you um, mm. with a purpose, right? So like I know my purpose is to be helpful. So that makes it really easy for me in a like navigational way to be like, okay, like is the decision I'm about to make helpful to others? Is it beneficial? Do I benefit society when I do this? You know, mm -hmm. um, like a question I ask myself every night is, what did I do to contribute? What did I do to pack into the stream of life today? And um, that question is never going to, I'm never going to stop asking myself that question. So I think for me, you know, it's like that is the deciding factor if I'm ever at a fork in the road and it's between cool glitzy all access pass versus being really helpful to someone yeah that all access pass might be cool and the picture in front of the airstream is awesome but like that's <laughs> ego that's mm -hmm. not me being helpful me being helpful is what I truly need to do um and it's painful sometimes you know uh but yeah. 
I've always been led in the right direction when I'm being helpful to others. So um, that's truly, I think, what like I want to do with Postbook. It's just to be helpful to other people in whatever way possible. Obviously, because this is my full-time job, there is some money involved because this is how I make my living. Um, and I work with brands, ironically being sober, I work with a lot of like alcohol brands, um, <laughs> but they don't care. I mean, I'm literally just a client, you know, I'm fulfilling mm-hmm. a need that they have. Um, and I get to work with them in this like very like detached professional way. Um, that is so funny from my own experience, but, um, I truly think that like, for me, you know, being a full-time artist is such a trip because I never thought that I would be this, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. that you couldn't have told me a year ago when I went full-time that this was going to be my life. Like I yeah. just, it's, well, been, it's, it's been crazy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's been really yeah. crazy. That's, um, I love, I love that you said your purpose is to just be helpful and to be present. I mean, that's kind of what this podcast is about to be here now. I, I truly think that because I'm also, you mentioned that you're, um, you run on the anxious side. I also run on the anxious side. I'm a very anxious person, um, which is why I'm so drawn to yoga. And I, I truly believe my, my purpose is to teach yoga. Um, because it draws you to the present moment because at the end of the day, that is all you have control over and you can't worry about yesterday and you can't worry about tomorrow. So, um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I, I just wanted to say too, that I think one of the, the first conversation that we ever had was I think when my friend passed away, um, I don't know. Do you remember that at the end of 2018? Very vividly. Um, yeah. Every time I think of the color purple, purple, I still think of her. Um, mm. And that was that again was another experience. That was before postbook, really. I mean, that was me just stepping in and being like, "Yo, these people are grieving. How do I be helpful right now?" Um, yeah, I I remember I was in um, my um, food science class, and it was I think the day after I found out and. Um, I was, we were in that girl group, that like girl gang group and everyone was <laughs> posting about it. And I was like, I was one of her closer friends. And, um, so everyone had questions for me and it was just really overwhelming. And I remember you reached right. out to me and that was so helpful because that was my first encounter with dealing with someone who passed from suicide. I, I didn't yep. even know what the hell was going on. Um, right. and and yeah, I remember calling you or you called me and we just talked for a little bit and it helped so much because I didn't know, I didn't know what was, what was going on, but you helped me kind of be present and look at the situation from a different perspective and, um, get relative with what was going on. And yeah, I know, I don't know if I ever thanked you for that, but that was, that was, uh, <laughs> I'm very grateful for that conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the first time I had a friend die and um, his his name is Brian and he was a brilliant like um, marine biologist and Mm -hmm. he was a mess and it was a disaster and it was so hard. Um, But the people who had been through that before like helped me. And Mm -hmm. I knew in that moment that that was what I had to do for people when it happens to them. Um, And I had a friend pass away this summer and it was, it was hard. That one was mm. so hard. He was this sweet kid. And it's just, 
I think that when when you have a, a drug addiction, and I'm not, and this is my experience with death. Um, it's less of suicide. It's mostly my experiences with people who have accidentally overdosed. Um, mm-hmm. But all the same, they're gone, right? You're grieving all the same. And um, I think that with that one, it was just like, all right, how do I be helpful now? What do I do? Mm-hmm. And um, that's such a learned behavior because that is not what I want to do. I want to yell and I want to scream and I want to get mm-hmm. mad. Um, and this doesn't, if it's not my, if it's not my person and it's not my grief to feel, it's about me helping the people whose grief it is to feel. And, Mm -hmm. um, her mom actually hit me up for like a few months after that. And that was so hard for me, but I knew it wasn't about me. Um, and it was just like one of those moments that like, I just realized like she just needed someone to talk to. Yeah, and it could have been anyone, but the fact that she was like using me in this way to help her was amazing, and I was so happy to do it. So to kind of like to kind of wrap up here, I'm really curious to know what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone? It could be from an artist perspective, someone who is wanting to pursue art full time, or just maybe start art, or life in general in sobriety um yeah what's one piece of advice that you would give oh man just one I like to give (laughs) advice oh man um my the best piece of advice I was ever given was live the life that's in front of you so I would say you know live the life that's in front of you because you will always get what you need even if it's not what you want that would be my piece of advice to anyone that can apply to anyone. I think if you're struggling with addiction and you're starting to realize that like, you know, maybe you're like me and you were 21 and you're realizing like, well, I want to pop champagne at my graduation. What am I going to drink on my wedding night? You know, and what am I going to do for my 22nd birthday or my 21st birthday? Like th- that's what you want, <laughs> but what you need is inside of you. Right. And you have to figure that out for yourself. You know, if you want to be an artist, um, Maybe don't focus on the clout. Maybe don't focus on how many followers you have and don't focus on, you know, who you can be compared to, but focus on like your craft and what it means to you. Because for me, I mean, getting creative is quiet. It's personal. Um, It's raw. It's not like this loud experience. It's very quiet. And um, when I have those experiences and I just make something and I just kind of play with myself, it's like a dance. I like to think of it as a dance. Mm. Um, it's, it's the most magical thing ever. It's what I live for. You know, it, I realize in that moment, that's it. You know, that's me right now, the, whatever situation I'm in, whatever life this is, I'm being helpful in this way that I never anticipated. And here we are. And, um, you know, I think that that experience is truly scary but mm-hmm. it gives you the opportunity to live the life that's in front of you and do what yeah. you need to do. That's so good. Snaps for that. <laughs> I think that, you know, my experiences, all of them led me to this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that without them, I wouldn't be here. And I think the next stuff, stuff, I don't really think post work as itself is going to go away, but I think that the next like, like kind of era that it takes on, will be very much fueled by where I'm at now, you know? So I would say that um, it's a necessary experience to go through what you go through um, as humans. Yeah, absolutely. 
this is something that I ask, um, I bring up often with my, with my friends, if we're like sitting around a campfire and everyone's quiet, Mm. I'm like, all right, everyone tell me your three gratitudes. Like, what are you grateful for? Give me three things. Um, so yeah. So what are, uh, what are three things you're grateful for? Just like off the top of your head. My cat, Ted, because he saved my life. Um, I am grateful for my new rubber plant for giving me something (laughs) to take care of. And um, I am especially grateful for today, my own ability to hold space in my emotions. Mm. Um, I actually used to write a gratitude list every day. So gratitude saved my life. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, don't knock gratitude. It's, It's a great practice. And even now when I'm stressed, it's what I do. Yeah. I always say gratitude is the best attitude. (laughs) <laughs> yes yes I so love that. True. but this has been so much fun I like seriously this has been such a great conversation um I hope you enjoyed this and I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit with me especially today I didn't even realize we planned this for inauguration day but yeah this is this has been really fun and I I, I greatly appreciate you yeah I mean I, this has been wonderful and I I'm always happy to talk about my experience. I just, um, sometimes I like to be asked to do that and not necessarily just do it on my own. So I appreciate you giving me that opportunity. Yeah, of course. Um, well, if you're listening, um, there will be another episode next week and yeah, I hope you enjoyed this wonderful conversation with Natasha, AKA post and, um, see you next time.